2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we had the return of the big three, and the Nets got the W over the Bulls, 105-91. How we doing, Jack? Scary Hellas returns! Yeah, it did. It wasn't necessarily as spooky as it can be, but uh, we'll see what happens as we move forward. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we start?
1: Well, Nick, it seemed to me, give me the summation of the Scary Hours Trio return. It seemed to be a little bit lackluster, to say the least.
2: Yeah, really poor start for the Nets in this game. I believe the Bulls started off 12-0 and the Nets just didn't necessarily have a high level of engagement, intensity a lot of hesitancy in terms of like shooting guys, passing up open shots and not really having a good synergy to the offense. It almost felt like when some of the bench players came in that the synergy picked up and just, you know, the ball movement everything like that and they're playing more so Nets basketball and it was just that type of game where the Nets couldn't consistently play, you know, back to back good quarters as you can see, you know, Bulls won the first quarter Nets win the second quarter, third quarter the Nets score 18 points, the Bulls only Score 20 and in the fourth they kind of pull away so it's just kind of one of those games where it almost felt like a drag and you could almost feel it for the star players like oh we have to play at 1 p.m this is the second game left of the regular season like you know how much you know how much energy do we really want to put into this and you kind of saw some of the energy guys really have their games tonight that allowed the nets to get the w
1: yeah bruce brand incredible starting again i should continue to show his value with the double double 16 points, 12 rebounds, including three offensive ones, had three assists, two steals, and a block as well. And then obviously Clack City is booming, continuing to boom. A plus 26 in the night, 10 points, eight rebounds, and three blocks, 4-4 from the field, and 2-4 from the free throw line. Uh, it's good to know. And I think James Harden also said that, like, you know, he had a chat with the, the Royal guys saying that, you know, in, in emphasizing their value and their importance in the postseason. Good leadership there. And I think these guys know what they need to do to make an impact on this team.
2: I agree, Jack. And I think. Excuse me. It's more positive to see the role players playing well right now. You know, you know, James Harden, Kevin Durant, they're going to pick it up. Like if Jeff Green is hot going to the postseason, that's a positive. Bruce Brown has confidence. Claxon is developing on both ends of the floor. That makes you feel good about what the Nets can do, because at the end of the day, you kind of anticipate what you're going to get from James Harden, Kyrie, and KD.
1: Nikki, would you start Bruce or Joe when he comes back? Obviously, we hear that Joe's got a bit of a, a gluteal strain, um, and he's not going to play the final regular season game either, which is a little bit disappointing. Uh, but obviously, you know, his role is pretty sort of set in stone and will be somewhat seamless. Would you continue to start Bruce Brown with the starters in the, the vein of form that he's been in?
2: Yeah, it's a really tough decision, to be honest. Obviously, you love the spacing in which Joe provides the offense and kind of can almost take it up a tier because he's an elite spacer with two of the, you know, three of the best scorers in the NBA. But then again, Bruce Brown gives you a lot of what you need when you have star players, just that toughness, hustle plays, going to help on the boards a little bit. It's really tough. Some of it's kind of dependent, uh, uh, matchup dependent, but I'm not sure, Jack. Are you leaning a specific way between Bruce Brown and Joe Harris?
1: Uh, I mean, part of me is having a little bit of recency bias, thinking that you know Bruce Brown's defense is just something that is fills a hole with the stars. Like you sort of mentioned Nick, because you know, look at the other four guys that we have, and it's essentially those guys are offensive superstar. Katie certainly does give you something defensively as well, but you know Blake, Kyrie, and James Harden—they're not necessarily known for their defensive prowess. Whereas that is what Bruce Brown is known for. Joe Harris can be a defensive, you know, liability at times, given the matchup. You know, beat the Bucks or the Sixers, but the first round, maybe you want to start giving that confidence again and getting him those yep. reps not 100 sure but i think that both bruce and joe just need to maximize their minutes with james Harden. it's as simple yeah. as that because what james harden does it to, to both of those dudes he just elevates them to another stratosphere offensively and bruce Brown, especially um, i think he we've sort of spoken about that on previous pods but yeah i think that as long as the minutes are aligned i think both of those guys Uh, Bruce and Joe will have a a high amount of minutes in terms of our role players given the matchup obviously both of them have a real specialized skill set and we should see a lot of time with them uh, with the beard
2: Yeah, I think also like some of it is big man dependent. You know, if you're starting Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown's a little easier to start. If you're starting Nick Claxton, you might lean with Joe Harris because Claxton's making up for some of those other deficiencies. So uh, it's almost like in my head, I think maybe the idea of starting Bruce makes a lot of sense because it gives you some of that defensive energy. But obviously the counterpoint would be, hey, Joe Harris knocks down two threes in the first minute of the game. You're feeling really good. But I think I would start with Bruce and I'd probably close with Joe. I think my closing lineup would be Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant and Nick Claxton.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could probably summon a Jeff Green there as well uh, for for clacks, depending on your spacing ability and whether you have the ability to go small, maybe against the Hornets' side, maybe against the Celtics' side as well. Um, It allow you to sort of really space out the floor a little bit. There is certainly versatility there. And I guess, depending on the matchup, Nick, if it is the Hornets, it seems to be it's going to be the Hornets or the Celtics. Do you think Bruce Brown is more valuable because you can say throw him at a, a Kimball Walker or, or maybe even a Brown or a Tatum? And because we did see him, you know, play a little bit of time with Michael Porter Jr. He wasn't necessarily totally effective, uh, but you could also throw him on a a Terry Roger or a Lamelo Ball. You know, they've got a really nice uh, backcourt combination, Devonte Graham as well, uh, and, and you've got Malik Monk coming off the bench too. So I think Bruce Brown could be a, a really nice defensive piece uh, against the Hornets and or or even the Celtics. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think against the Hornets, it makes more sense because you want a high-energy guy. That's a team that likes to get out and run. They're young and feisty. They're going to make those extra plays, and your counter is kind of Bruce Brown. We're in the Celtics matchup. No disrespect to them. Obviously, Jalen Brown being out. They're not really a tough matchup for the Nets. You know, Joe Harris, I think, can handle his own. He's proven that against Boston this year. So against the Celtics, I don't think it really matters. I think with the Hornets, I lean towards Bruce Brown.
1: Interesting. We'll have to see how it all plays out. It does suck that Jalen Brown is injured because it would have been a, a much more fun and entertaining yeah. series had he, I've uh, been a, even 80 percent health or, or, or whatever. But Nick, give me some more Clack City highlights. Give me some more Clack City moments. Um, you know, I might have to create an NFT world and yeah. you know a, a, a video game like they do. Like Sims is coming back, isn't? Sims is a thing again. Uh, I might yeah. have to create a new called Clack City.
2: Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, Jack, 10 points, 4-4 from the field, 2-4 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks, plus 26. You know, just having a large impact on this game defensively. You know, his switching ability always sticks out. He did a great job on Vucevic, really frustrating him. And he's also starting to develop a nice chemistry with Kevin Durant on some of these rolls and slips to the rim. And I think that's obviously a big point of is understanding where he needs to be offensively to kind of hit those open spots he's going to get easy buckets and I think he's starting to realize like hey KD James Harden Kyrie Irving they're going to get a lot of attention and I'll say this about him defensively one thing I've noticed where he's I don't want to say drastically improved but it's probably a substantial improvement is his off ball switching where he's like oh you know I realize what's going on behind me a little bit more when I need to switch back onto a big or switch you know what I mean to put somebody else in a better position so Claxton's defensive IQ is definitely improving over the the course of the last few weeks.
1: Yeah. The, the, ra- I mean, I mentioned on the last pod that, you know, we, we talked about it, the rapid improvement game after game within the game for, for Clax is, is nothing short of outstanding. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, it, he's, had, he has something he had, elite players do literally. And and it's, I know I'm trying to think, you know, obviously my memory pro- probably isn't great at nine, 11 AM in the morning, but maybe <laughs> you could sort of enlighten me, Nick, but I can't remember the time where a championship team has had, You know, such a, not a heavy reliance, but had a a second year player, a guy who's essentially a rookie player in the amount of games that he played, had such an important role in the the team. Uh, And a big man for, for that respect, too, because. It just sort of defies, you know, natural logic in the NBA. Normally, you got to have you know, your steady veteran, you know, big man sort of protecting the rim, doing the little things, your you bogey, your Tristan Thompson, these sort of dudes. But Claxton is just, a, he's an anomaly. He is truly an anomaly. And he has so much talent on both ends of the floor. And, you know, the, the superstars are really, really making his growth uh, even more rapid.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head in terms of a sophomore player that's Dependent on to have that type of defensive impact you know it's very very rare you know I just have to, would have to think back maybe like Kawhi early when he was with the Spurs before he was truly a star he played some big minutes for those teams I'm not sure if he was you know winning with those teams but still you know that's the only guy that really pops to mind you look at the most recent teams nobody really on the Lakers Warriors had some centers that they played but they weren't necessarily important. Uh, Toronto didn't necessarily have young players they relied on so uh, maybe Pascal Siakam but he's still not in the same level of infancy as Nick Claxton
1: Yeah it's and, I mean Ojan and Obi a little bit but again it's And he uh, didn't
2: even really they didn't want to play him
1: No and and again it's the it's the the big man position as well which is probably yep normally it takes those big men, you know, you, you see Rudy Gobert grow into what he's grown into, Miles Turner, Joel Embiid, you know, obviously I think Nicole Jokic is a bit of an anomaly, he's still in like, you know, he's mid to early twenties, but a, a lot of the time it takes, you know, those guys 26, 27, where they're sort of like, okay, I'm going to dominate and make dominant plays on both ends of the floor. And, and Klax is doing that. And, obviously does help over the superstar teammates, like you mentioned, developing synergy with them, getting the wisdom from them, you know, getting open looks, open, uh, just open everything when you're playing alongside, you know, uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant and James Harden. Uh, And it was good to see, you know, another nice little 25 minutes for him. Uh, I think that building the reps and such, I think he's going to have a big role and we're sort of hearing, you know, why is it Clack City more minutes than Blake, blah, 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 blah. It's just like, Well, that's two games in a row now he's had more minutes than Blake. So I don't think the the starting position necessarily does matter. Uh, I've heard, you know, I think Wozni Lambre of now the ringer sort of argue the fact that Blake shouldn't be starting. It should be clacked. It's just like... I kind of just like Clack's going off the bench because he just provides you a spark and and an instant amount of energy that no player and no bench player, you you need to have something coming off the bench and it's just like, boom, I'm going to hit you in the face a little bit and you're not going to be expecting this. You don't want to have it all, you you want to sort of hide something up the sleeve a little bit if you sort of uh, understand what I mean there.
2: Yeah, it definitely gives you just kind of an impact player that can change the dynamic of the game because the degree in which you play defense with Klaxon on the floor is pretty different and what he can do when he can create those blocks, he can create those deflection, those steals. And also, we've talked about this in the past, sometimes the the opposing team is going to put their bruiser out to start the game you know why make claxon have to deal with that for six minutes for no reason if it doesn't matter you know what i mean you have him in at the end of the game and like you said jack kind of gives you something up your sleeve gives you that extra spark and somebody who can just really make plays and also like-
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: Like not only is he having a defensive impact, you're really starting to feel him on the boards. Like we've talked about in the past, really attacks the boards. He also had a nice little putback today. That's the type of stuff that he's got to do and he's going to really help this team. It can be, you know, the difference in a one or two possession game in the postseason.
1: Yeah, NFTs might be heading down the drain, Nick, in terms of what's (laughs) happening right now, but Clack City continues to grow and grow. Invest in Clack City, uh, invest in our new video game, invest in all real estate heading there because, you know, in the postseason, you you better get in quick because it's only going to get higher and higher and higher.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the one standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click slash safety, or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: Nick, who else sort of stood out in this game? Uh, I got a
2: question for you, Jack. Uh, what do you think in terms of Claxon will be his like minute high in the postseason? Like, what do you think would be like a game where like, hey, Steve Nash is like, yo, I got to depend on Nick Claxon. What do you think's the most minutes we could see him play in a postseason game?
1: Just thinking about the matchup that the Nets will probably have to go through. It's it's going to be, you know, the, the first round will be Charlotte or Boston. Then it's likely to be Miami or, or Milwaukee, more than likely Milwaukee. I, I think we're probably going to see a 32 uh, I think yeah. that I'd probably see a, a mid 30s from him. Uh, I just think that Steve Nash is uh, an offensively predicated you know, coach, and he's going to want Blake out there, Jeff out there for, for large spurts as well. But in matchups where, you know, you want to have, you know, the, the defensive energy uh, and the vertical spacing, you know, it's not to say that neither of those guys are good dunkers. they're probably two of our best and two of the best in the league right now for guys that are in their 30s. It's just that Clax has a, a nice sort of synergy uh, with the superstars as well. So I think that if you, you're giving me a, a gun to my head, I'll go 32, 33 minutes.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, Jack. I don't unless they get specific matchups where it makes a ton of sense. You know, if you're facing the Miami Heat, maybe you play him more than you would against the Bucks, just because of some of the the physicality that you might in the size you have to deal with the Bucs where against Miami, I think against Bam, like he makes sense. But also, like you said, Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, they're going to lean towards offense, so it's going to be tough. But it also kind of just strikes me when I watch Claxton sometimes. I'm like how much are they willing to unlock this guy in the postseason? Like, how much are they willing to trust him? Obviously, like we just discussed, he's very, very young. He's not a veteran, but he's shown improvement in games.
1: Yeah, uh, ultimately, Nick, the the superstars are going to get the 35, 36 plus. And I think outside of that, you know, there's only going to be, you know, mid-30s, you know, available in terms of just the minute allocation. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, look- I'd
2: argue that, you know, the Stars might play close to 40. You know, in a lot of games, especially the way we've seen Steve Nash use them at points in the season.
1: Absolutely. And that's what you want them out there for, especially yep. if they're performing, because, look, you know, they're superstars. They're supposed to be out there uh, playing the big minutes. This isn't Mike Bullenhoser and the 2019-20 Milwaukee Bucks. Um, yep. But in, in saying that, uh, go heat, hopefully, uh, by the time this podcast <laughs> is out, uh, we, we get a heat win uh, and the, the, we can see our our guys uh, get rested a little bit because there is talk, um, obviously this conversation, this topic is going to be null and void so we might not necessarily touch on it, about whether the guys are going to step up uh, again and, and shoot up again against the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hopefully they don't have to uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that but Nick, what other takeaways did you take from, I guess, this Bulls matchup? It seems to me that there wasn't a lot. You know, Landry Shem was a plus 19, I guess. Uh, we saw Jeff Green being a, a plus 10. Was this a more of a role player's performance, despite the fact that all of the hype for, for the scary hours?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think the bench players really stepped up, and they provided that spark where the starters kind of lack some of that, you know, effort, energy, engagement, which we talked about in the beginning. And like you said, Jeff Green, 19 points, 7 of 8 from the field, 5 of 6 from three, couple poster dunks in there. Obviously, like I said, seeing the three-point shot go down for him is always, you know, very promising. And it was nice to just see kind of Jeff Green hit the threes when the Nets needed them, give him that separation in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, if you had told me that Jeff Green would outscore James Harden and Kevin Durant in this game, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I would have told you. You were smoking, Nick, but uh, it, it was... <laughs> dying, whatever. Um, but yeah, Jeff Green has been sensational this season, and you know, when the moment does arise, you know, we just know that he's going to perform. He's going to provide a level of set. He doesn't necessarily need to have five or six from three, but he'll hit a couple here or there. He'll play some solid defense, uh, and he'll do all the right things for this team. Now, he just knows how to create his own shot as well, which is always uh, uh, provide a provider point of value for, for for the, for the Nets in, in a lot of respects Nick the Nets superstar trio scary hours trio combined for 39 points I would have thought that one of these dudes would have 39 points by themselves
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely was not the most impressive big three performance. You know, the guys definitely didn't pop off, but I would say this is also one of the luxuries of having three stars is, you know, Kevin Durant played somewhat poorly today, and James Harden just wasn't very aggressive, obviously still coming back from injury. But you have Kyrie Irving, who really kept the Nets in the game early on when they were struggling, just started this game hot, only finished with 22, but I think he had 18 in the first half. So, like, the fact that they have all three of these guys, there's always – you know, a possibility and a likelihood that one of them is going to be hot. And even if the other two are struggling, it might be just enough to hold you on the rest of the game.
1: And that's the luxury of of having three, Nick. You know, that's what we've always spoke about. That's what the Zach Lowe, as soon as the trade was made, it's just like it makes so much sense because you have three. And it's the reason why the Nets have been, you know, the second best team in the East all season, because they've had three in the absence of, you know, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden at times. At least one of those superstars for at least i would say pretty much every game we've had one of them healthy which has allowed us to be you know in contention against whatever team it is whether it's the phoenix suns whether it's you know lower teams in 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 the eastern or western conference it just helps and now that we're starting to get them back you know it's not necessarily 176 minutes and eight games. It's nine games and 190 <laughs> minutes or whatever the hell it is. We can change that stat uh, from now on. But it is, uh, it's is—it's all about the reps, Nick. I think that you don't necessarily take a lot away from this. There's a part of me that's just like, you know what? I kind of hope the the Bucks do win. And we sort of have to get a little bit of time yeah. uh, with the scary hours trio. But I think the first round will probably be used uh, to get some more reps too, get the conditioning right, you know, get the, the, get the, the, the flow right. I think that that'll happen in, in no time. And, you know, as you told me and as we both saw, Steve Nash said that you know, they were all, all four of them were watching a bit of tape together, sort of knowing you know, where they can impact on both ends of the floor. Uh, th- these guys have a, a high drive to succeed um, on both ends, and I expect them to, to be doing that sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, and some of it's like, how much do you take away from a game like this? Is it the 1 p.m. star? Is it just some poor, you know, play? Or is there, you know, maybe the lack of reps is really sticking out? I think one of the important things for them is kind of having more plays that involves all of them in the action because I think that's when you put the most pressure on the defense because then there's just three elite scores all in that situation instead of kind of playing off some of the other guys. I mean, we saw what the Bulls did at some points was just kind of like, okay, Blake Griffin, okay, Bruce Brown, like, we're going to give you open shots. We're going to send doubles to Kevin Durant or whatever it might be but again you know they're going to have a week to kind of work things through practice which is probably more practice time than they had all season together
1: and I think that these guys actually use practice and and enjoy practice as a time to sort of bond on the court have sort of conversations we saw in the recent episode of the bridge which was sensational Kyrie Irving and his tutelage to to Landry Shaman and I think that he's been a not necessarily the big part Landry Shaman is the reason why he has been he's bounced back in such a big way post January but you can't um, you can't underestimate the fact that having Kyrie Irving and his intelligence and and his sort of just like you know his expertise to go you know what you gotta drive here use the left hand here or use all those little things Um, what a horrible He had a
2: Kyrie-esque layup in this game it was uh, Uh, just like a little Euro where he hit him with a little shake. And like you said, Jack, it, it was just like, okay, there, there's Kyrie's fingerprints on
1: the play. Oh, he's such a horrible teammate, though, Nick. So bad.
2: <laughs> I know. But uh, Again, just kind of getting back to the guys. Kevin Durant, you know, uncharacteristic game from him. You know, 12 points, 4 of 17, 1 of 6 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line. Did have 9 rebounds, 6 assists, but did have the 5 turnovers. You know, his jumper was just a touch off in this one. There was a couple that were kind of like halfway down. So, you know, like the shot's off by maybe a centimeter or something along those lines. So, And then a couple careless passes and defensively not super engaged. You know, I made the joke to you before we started, like maybe him and James Harden were a little hungover because they just didn't feel like he was super locked in to what we typically see for Kevin Durant.
1: Yeah, I guarantee that James and Kevin aren't going to have two bad games, all right? It's yeah. it, the superstars. get them out of the way for the playoffs. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And, and look, you got the win, and I think that's the the bigger picture thing. And you know, you want to get the the rust out in the regular season. You know, and I think that you know whether that's against Cleveland and you know the first round. You know, hopefully the, the Nets can start to play some of their best basketball. You know, we saw Matt Brooks put out some nice little plays here or there. You know, some scissor action and, and all these different things that involve the three guys. And then you add in a Joe Harris, which means that you you can't leave anyone open. So and, and Bruce, obviously, he's picking a real combination with James Harden and, and Blake, and he's passing Yakiman too. So, look, the I think that the ball is going to continue to move well. You know, we still came around six assists. You know, we saw James Harden had seven assists. We saw Mike James had five assists. Yep. You know, a couple of uh, extra two assists uh, uh, across the board as well. It's good to see that that ball movement is increasing too because I think that's where the Nets are at the most dangerous because it's just like... A, you know, you have to follow the ball as well as the player because if you're following just the player, uh, it, it makes it a, a little bit easier to sort of hone in and defensively. And I think that plays into the hands of you know the better teams like the Sixers and the Bucks because they are locked in and and really good one-on-one defenders. But as team defenders, you know, how are you going to guard the ball as well as you know three guys moving around? Joe Harris moving around like a madman, Landry Shavitt moving around like a madman. You know, Bruce Brown cutting here and there, Jeff Green cutting here and there, you know, Blake and Clacks rolling to the rim. I think that's where the ball and play movement, um, that's where the Nets are going to be supremely dangerous.
2: agree, Jack. I think ball movement is obviously key. There's some plays in this game where you're just like, they make basketball look really, really easy because they're playing off of each other or their teammates, and that's obviously what you want to get to. I think some of it, too, is, you know, like we've mentioned, uh, the lack of reps because you're not really sure how defenses are going to play you, how they're going to treat you in these different situations, so it's definitely going to be an adjusting period during the postseason. And also, I think, like, to an extent, some of these guys are not used to getting these type of wide-open looks. Like, James Harden definitely passed up about five, you know, wide-open catches catch and shoot threes today some of that's you know not necessarily something he's done a ton in the past but you like to see them kind of get used to that and take advantage of these opportunities a little more
1: no doubt no doubt Nick, want to ask a general question unless you had anything else to touch on with this sort of i guess game 14 point win you put it in the book and hopefully you, know, you move on to the next one and, and and bigger things to come in you know a bit over a week's time
2: Yeah, I would just say Blake Griffin had probably one of his roughest games as a net in terms of the offense just wasn't going there for him. You know, a shot was a little bit off. He had a play where he passed out of a wide-open layup. I think defensively he's still been okay in this game. And I guess just, like, one more point on this game in general, Jack, is just, like, The offensive rebounding for the Bulls, you know, 19 offensive rebounds. I think they had like 20-plus second-chance points in this game. And if the Nets just rebound the basketball, this one's probably not uh, close. And uh, 23 second-chance points for the Bulls.
1: That's where you allow a team in. And if you allow those sort of numbers against the Hornets or or the Celtics, you know, you're you're going to be in trouble, and and I think you know the teams that have a bit more talent, and obviously Zach Levine wasn't healthy tonight either. Um, you know, I think that you you've got to be better on the boards, and it's been a big emphasis for the for the team all year. But Nick, I wanted to ask about the All NBA. and, you know, we've got, you know, obviously Kevin Durant is an All-NBA player, but he hasn't played the games. Uh, James Harden, obviously, everyone's discounting him because of his time in, in Houston, but maybe you have him on all your All-NBA teams. For those who might not listen to the outlet either, um, and Kyrie Irving, I think, is probably the clearest candidate I heard. A pretty decent conversation uh, from J.E. Skids of No Dunk sort of outlined the fact that people aren't putting Kyrie on the All NBA because of comments like David Aldridge made at the start of the season saying, Well, look, you're not going to talk to the media? Well, I'm not going to put you on the All NBA. Seems to me that maybe these journalists have some, are holding some vendettas against our dude Kyrie as well. I understand that the guard position is one of the toughest ones. You know, Devin Booker, Trey Young, Bradley Beal, these sort of dudes, but you can't not reward a team that has been the second best and one of the best offensive teams ever with at least having one player on an All-NBA team. You know, it it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So, Nick, is it Kyrie Irving, is it James Harden? Uh, What are your thoughts, I guess, on the Nets and their All-NBA chances?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure you already know what my answer is here, but uh, obviously I, I have the bias and I watch the Nets every single night and I put Kyrie and James Harden both on my third team. You know, I understand the argument probably for James Harden not making it, but my counterpoint on the outlet was if LeBron is going to make it and he played one more game than James Harden, like what are we doing here? You know what I mean? James Harden wasn't that much worse than LeBron James this season to the point where you're like, you know, you know, punishing him for not playing one less game than LeBron and I think his impact on the Nets and what he did with Kyrie and Kevin Durant being out for stretches kind of speaks for itself and I think Kyrie I don't know what the official numbers are after today but he's pretty damn close to a 50 40 90 season I think averaging like 28 points a game so you know if you're doing that at least one guy has to be on there most seasons it would be two but I understand if it's only one just given there's a lot of competition for these spots this season
1: yeah it's been it's an absolute slog and you know boston westbrook's put his name in there you know getting a a million triple doubles and 20 assist games uh too so for me i'd have Kyrie irving all there on there um i think you know, I'm I'm not totally buying into the narrative around James Harden and and what he did in Houston, and you know, sort of dis, discounting that and sort of being like,
2: better numbers in Houston for those eight games and like or whatever amount of games it was than a lot of players did this entire year.
1: Yeah, and obviously, you know, they still went like three and five or five and three or something like yeah. that. It's not like they were totally horrible. Um, I think that I would go Kyrie Irving as well. I think it's it's pretty clear. You know, you you outline the efficiency. This is. Might be the best season of Kyrie Irving's career. You know, I I would put it up there with, you know, some of the the best basketball that he has ever played, and that's saying something for a guy who is as talented as he is. So I think Kyrie Irving has to be on their second or third team. Um, I think it's it's a lot because ultimately I would have him. But he's in the he's in a clear sort of second realm under your Stephs, your Lukas, uh, your Lillard's, those sort of guys, and I think he is above a, a Devin Booker because Devin Booker hasn't been that great this season. Yeah, you know, I've seen a
2: lot of people put Chris Paul over Devin Booker,
1: and, and I, I would probably put Chris Paul over Devin That's Booker as did. well. Um, and, and you know, obviously, you know, listen to the outlet if you want to hear some more All NBA chat. Now we'll have a little bit as well on JBT this week too. But um, I, I think that you're to not put Kyrie Irving on the All NBA team. Uh, it means that you're either not watching Nets basketball, like the jump, not having Nicholas Claxton in the rotation. Um, and look, we, we know a lot of ASPN members do get some of these votes. Uh, it, it just, it, it, I, look, Bradley Beal hasn't been that much better. You know, it's, it's just, uh, on a team The are 33
2: and 38. And some of that's, far, like, Bradley Beal has played in a majority of those games.
1: Yeah, and, and a lot of the time it's like, you know, Russ Westbrook has been impacting their winning, you know, a, a lot of the time. It's, it's his health, and you know, Bradley Beal putting up numbers sometimes doesn't lead to the wins. And you know, Kyrie Irving, when he has been playing and and, and performing well, the Nets generally do perform well. And and we will, we sort of say, man, this sort of performance of Kyrie Irving is going to go to the wayside because just like you know, there was so much other sort of stuff going on. So Kyrie Irving needs to be an All NBA player. I uh, hopefully. But the Nets and he do get those rewards, um, and 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 I think that it would be a, a bit of a shame if that isn't the case. And you know we see some other names, Trey Young and Devin Booker and, and these sort of guys. I get the nod ahead of him because uh, it, it it just it makes the most sense to me.
2: Yeah, and I'd say Kyrie's been better defensively this season than Bradley Beal too. Just like a little notch. Obviously, Beal's having a couple more points, but like you said, Jack, if there is no Nets, you know, part of me would be upset, but part of me would be kind of happy because it's like the biggest slap in the face you could give those players, and it would be you know just that extra boost of motivation. Obviously, they dropped during some point during the postseason, but still, like that's just kind of what these guys need—a bigger chip, and that's like a, a bigger motivation for them to dominate.
1: Yeah, not to brag, Nick, but they're pretty good at basketball.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they are. They are pretty good at basketball.
1: Uh, I wanted to throw something else at you, Nick, because we haven't had the chance to chat since this. You know, nice little uh, piece on Spencer Dimwitty from, um, I think it was Spencer Sprung of Forbes Sports. Um, And he was, Spencer was pretty forthright and pretty open. You know, he wants to be a Brooklyn Net going forward. And he thinks he can return to play, you know, in around June when, you know, the Nets could be, you know, heading into a a deep postseason run. I guess, what are your thoughts on, on both of those sentiments uh, from Mr. Dinwiddie?
2: Yeah, I mean, on the, in return into NBA basketball, it's definitely something that's possible. But I think from a Nets perspective, you look at it like, is it going to mess up the flow of the team, the rotation? Obviously, Spencer's a different player. He's very talented. How much is are going to be? So that's kind of a decision, I think, for the coaching staff. Spencer, obviously, is going to want to play. And it's also like, if the team is rolling and cooking in the postseason— I'm not sure it's in the best interest to bring him back. But if there's a, you know, apparent parent struggle or you have a need for somebody, you know, you look at Spencer Dinwiddie. And on the second part about, you know, opting out and then wanting to come back to Brooklyn. I think he's always been willing to come back to Brooklyn, but it's more so about the money amount. You know what I mean? This is his opportunity to get the bag and, uh, you know, the Nets might want to pay him they might not want to pay him they might want to keep more flexibility and you know see what they can do out there obviously they're limited in what they can do given they have three superstars on the roster and some other pretty hefty contracts so maybe you keep spence and then that's another trade option you have you know down the line i'm not really sure how that situation is going to work out you know it really depends on how much money joe is willing to spend
1: he's got a lot of money he has a lot a lot of money is, is it steve Bomber money where it's just like i don't give a shit and i'm just gonna throw the bag everywhere if I was a billionaire and I had a basketball team, you know, and oh, I certainly would, but I'm not going to tell you I think if so. the Nets
2: win a championship, like, part of me almost feels like it could be just like even more likely because it's like, oh, you get the taste of winning and now it's like, okay, now we just made ourselves even better the next season.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the, the uh, you would assume that stadiums start to open up a little bit more as well. So yep. the revenue streams will certainly start to uh, increase a little bit for for the owners. Uh, in saying that, Nick, I wanted to hit on you know just a couple of the quotes. Yep. Uh, Spencer Dimwitty, I've had one of the most successful ACL recoveries in history. Nick, I can't. I honestly can't think of us in basketball. I know in some other sports, you know, uh, I, I can only think of a couple of names, but that a guy that has has, has shown as rapid uh, uh, as a recovery as Spencer Dimwitty has.
2: Yeah, I definitely think this is one of the quickest I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he said he made history. Obviously, it's been super successful in terms of what they're doing now. You want to see what he looks like when he gets truly back in the court. But the explosion we've seen in a lot of these Instagram videos, these workout videos, has looked good. You know, he's looked like, you know, an elite athlete.
1: I will also say that, you know, him doing all this, isn't just a, a good thing for the Brooklyn Nets and, you know, sort of the... Good for the, sports. It's it's good for sports and it's also good for his value because I think that, you know, him sort of showing that he's healthy, he's hungry, you know, to teams like, you know, the Dallas Mavericks and all, all these other sort of teams who've got a little bit of a, a deep change as well and, and some money uh, heading into the, you know, a, a season where there isn't a, a large free agency market. Um, I think it, it increases his value too. But uh, another comment, Spencer being a little bit cheeky as he is, he said... I know Brooklyn and Sean definitely wouldn't want me to give out anything official and then sprint a uh, sprung ass, but unofficially I want to return for the playoffs. So look, we know Spencer wants to come. It's just going to he the, the notoriously conservative training staff of the Brooklyn nets will allow him and whether he's shown enough uh, because he's going to have no reps at all. And it's just yeah. like, okay, if we're going looking at the rotation, we look at the the depth of the guards, you're Tyler Johnson, you look at Mike James, you give, those 10 or 15 minutes of Spencer Dimwitty, I'm going to be a little bit more confident just with the ability, even as, as Spencer Dimwitty not necessarily at his 100% best, because I think that just his steadiness is something that you want some kind of the bench. And I guess this is me, you know, living the pipe dream and of Spencer actually coming back. But look, where there's a will, there's a way.
2: Yeah, I think there's also a question like, is there actually minutes for him? You know what I mean? And, like, you know, you're we talked about it, Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, 40, 40, 40, most likely, maybe, you know, high 30s, depending on that. So it's, like, where do you take the minutes away? And I'm not sure Tyler Johnson or Mike James are in the playoff rotation. So it's, like, do you pull Bruce Brown off the court? Do you pull Joe Harris, Landry Shamit? Obviously, Spencer can knock down the three-point ball, but not at the same level those two guys can do. So, like, part of me is just, like, do you think he can give you more than Bruce Brown can give you? Can he give you that rebounding, that defensive energy, and those effort plays? Because that'd be someone's minutes that he could possibly get into.
1: So it'd be a good problem to have, yeah. I guess. I'll ask you the question, Nick, because you know Spencer was asking himself. You know, he's on 12 million dollars in the final year of his contract. He clearly, unders yeah. You know, uh, the, the, the ability that Nets have, have had to get some of their guys on unders for for these periods has allowed them to get in those superstars. You know, Joe Harris uh, taking that two-year, $16 million deal. Spencer Dewey, 3 years $30 million deal as well. Uh, has certainly helped them uh, in many, many, many ways. He sort of talked about the fact that Fred VanVleet and Malcolm Brogdon, you know, that sort of $19, 20, uh 20000000 million per annum deal uh, for Spencer – do you think he gets that or do you think that it's slightly under or maybe even over? Because, you know, at his best, you know, he's as good as those guys.
2: Yeah, I think you have to look at the market and where the salary cap is is for specific teams and the teams that really have those point guard needs. But I don't think $20 million is out of the realm of possibility for Spencer he. You know, I think if he wants to be in more winning situation, the number probably gets into the teens. But if he wants to have the bigger role and maybe be on a lesser team, I think you can get into the low 20s.
1: Yeah, look, it'll be interesting because we know Sean likes to give out sort of some of these shorter deals, and you know, yep. um, and, and you know whether it's like you know uh,
2: a one-year deal would maybe work out for both parties in this situation, unless Spencer really wants to secure himself after the injury.
1: Yeah, one-year $25 million deal, similar to what, you know, J.J. Reddick, you know, he did, a, I think, a two-year deal with the Philadelphia 76ers. Maybe there's, you know, a player option there for for the second year um, or, or, or some extension clauses or, or different sort of things. You know, there, there'll certainly be some creativity because… Uh, it's a
2: monster I think, trade chip too if but, you want to turn that into something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you could combine that and a Joe Harrison, and you've got a, a max player there. You know, <laughs> look, I'm I'm, I'm not saying that <laughs> you're thinking about the uh, a fourth max player on the Brooklyn Nets team, but you know, Sean Marks will certainly be thinking about all those different possibilities and more, as will Spencer himself, because look, he is worth more than what he is now, even coming off the ACL injury. I'm a little bit more pessimistic because I think that look what we're sort of discussing here Nick is if he takes a shorter deal I think it can increase his per annum you know worth you know whether it's 18 to 20 but if he's got a long term say like five years I reckon he can go five year 80 million dollar deal whether that's increasing decreasing similar to like a you know an Aaron Gordon sort of deal or, or, or some of those sort of guys where the money actually does look better uh, on paper uh, for the team itself.
2: Yeah, I think if I'm Spencer and I'm not getting the type of deal I want, I would probably sign a one plus one with a second year being a player option if I can get that or you know, or even if it's a team option for a high number like we saw the Knicks do a few years ago with a lot of those players. So like you said, Jack, I think a lot of it's going to be dependent on the market. And honestly, like these teams are going to see him. They're going to see his workouts and see where he physically is at. And everything looks great in the videos. That That's the point of them. But obviously there's a difference in seeing somebody on the court and taking the shots and doing what they need to do.
1: Yeah, and hopefully you know he doesn't convert whatever his next contract is into Dogecoin because at uh, the end of the day, they ain't looking good right now, Nick. I don't know a lot about it, but uh, I did watch SNL last week, and ooh, boy, oh, boy, boy.
2: Yeah, and that's the world we live in, you know, SNL <laughs> impacting cryptocurrency, but that's for another day. Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here?
1: Look, um, uh, again, you know, in 21 minutes' time, my time and your time, Nick, we will see the, the Milwaukee Bucks take on the Miami Heat, and, you know, by tomorrow when you're recording uh, with a guest, um, you'll be discussing, you know, the Nets first round matchup and, you know, who it's going to be. The We be won't up. even know. We won't even know yet. <laughs> I mean, look, we, we could hopefully know. Uh, we, we won't necessarily know who it's going to be, but we'll know where the Brooklyn Nets do stand yep. uh, within the Eastern Conference, you know, top tier.
2: Yep, it's going to be very interesting and see what happens there. And obviously we hope that, you know, the Bucs do lose this game and the Nets can kind of just rest going into next week and be fully healthy, especially, you know, even your guy Joe Harris. So hopefully he can get back to 100%. Everything's looking good and the Nets can take advantage of those practice reps and get a really nice first-round matchup where they can gain more synergy as a big three and as a team.
1: Yeah, play Udonis Haslam, Miami.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but as always, Jack, a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening.